0: Who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. And blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. This is the word of the Lord.
1: For the last several centuries, the Christian church has predominated Western society. When people had a problem, when an ethical issue came up, when people wanted to ask about God, for the longest time, they came to the church. And over the last few decades, being in the center position, center place of society has led the church to make some erroneous assumptions and worse, to fall into some dangerous habits. We have gotten so used to people coming to us that we've actually forgotten that Jesus called us first to go to them. We have become so fixated on God getting people saved, that we have reduced the answer of the gospel to something simplistic and not representative of our story. We have created a canned speech about a personal relationship with Christ and crafted a simple prayer about inviting Jesus to live in your heart. And this is all but eclipsed in the church any of the biblical talk about a kingdom or a great commission. Somewhere along the way, we confused cultural acceptance with authentic discipleship. So much so that in the church today, in the church today, as we talked about last week, there are many, many Christians who don't see a problem, who don't see how it's impossible, who think it's, it's totally fine that you can believe in Jesus, but not actually follow him. In the church we have turned Jesus into a commodity. Not someone, but something that we sell. A good luck charm. The ultimate friend you can call on to bail you out when you get into trouble. For many in the church, Jesus is nothing more than the holder of our eternal life insurance policy. And when you die, you can call on him and like a good savior... Jesus is there. (laughs) But times have changed. As the church has become more of an organization built on tradition rather than an organism, the body of Christ that's about transformation, times have changed. The world has changed. Christianity is no longer in the centerpiece of Western society, the center place of Western society. People are no longer looking to the church. Our friends and our family, many of them, do not come to the church. We look around and our Christian, our neighbors are not necessarily Christians. People are in the midst of their problems, in the midst of the ethical dilemmas we face, in the midst of their questions about God. People aren't asking or looking to the church anymore. In fact, they're looking for their answers elsewhere. People are, more than that, finding their sense of community. They are finding means to improve their life. They are finding even their spiritual care in other places than the church. And as we talked about last week, for many of us, we lament and we whine and we cry that it's because we're persecuted, we're disenfranchised, But the reality is, what we are witnessing today, what we have to face, has less to do with the relevance of the gospel or of Jesus and more to do with the posture and health of the church. We need to get back in shape, we need to return to our spiritual roots. We need to return to the essence of our story, and that's why last week we started, and we'll just be, for the next couple of weeks, you're going to hear the same scripture. You're going to hear Ephesians 4, 1 through 16 next week, just like you heard it last week, and you're going to hear it the week after that, and hopefully it's going to continue to impact us more and more. And it's one scripture, but there, and there are others, but of trying to get us back to our DNA. And we've talked about this DNA in lots of different ways within the church. We've talked about this idea of Our our fundamental identity is built upon our understanding of God as our Father. It's built upon the covenant. That if we don't understand God first and foremost as our Father, everything else is going to fall apart. And it's out of that understanding that God is our Father, we understand who we are, and we are God's children. All of us. All of us are God's children. Not because of what we do or don't do, but because we are created in the image of God. Because God put his impression upon us. And the result of that is this obedience. Not this oppressive obedience because we have to, but this dependence because we want to. Because when you know who you are, when you have that security, when you have that, the permanence of that relationship, it frees you to be who you were created to be versus trying to do things to define yourself or figure out who you are. Covenant, this relationship is freeing because we know who God is. He's our father. We know who we are. We are his children and we live in dependence upon him because he has created all things and understands all things and supplies all things. And Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, comes back to this biblical idea throughout Scripture, this idea of our identity. And specifically in chapter 4, you heard Lee read it again. He talks about that the foundation of the church is our unity, and our unity is in our identity in Christ. And this is where Paul says in the first six verses, that what holds us together is the same faith, the same hope, the same love, the same spirit, the same baptism, the same God, the Father of all, who's in all and through all. This is our identity. All the other things that have got put on us or we put upon ourselves have to fall away because this is the essence of who we are. This is our bedrock. And then Paul goes on in the letter and proceeds to speak about kingdom. Another huge theme in the Bible, that knowing our identity, that God is our father and we are God's children, all of us, and living in dependence upon God, God is also the king, the creator of all things. This world, this universe is his kingdom and we are called by our father to represent him. That's our responsibility. Covenant is about identity. Kingdom's about responsibility. And our responsibility is to represent our Father's reign. And Paul talks about this. Based upon our unity, he then moves to how do we grow to maturity? How do we live out of this authority that we've been given? How do we live out of this power that we've been given by God's Spirit? And as we looked at last week, he he, he talks about each one of us has been given grace through Jesus Christ, authority and power, and he lists five roles, five functions in the body of Christ. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, teacher, and pastor. These five roles we looked at last week, but you can even think of them in terms of fingers on your hand. Five fingers, five roles. And I can't, encapsulate everything that I said last week as as an introduction. I tried to on the first half of the sermon notes, if you haven't noticed them. But I strongly encourage you more than any other sermon to go back and listen, because while you'll get stuff out of this morning, really listening to last week will help you better connect to this week and to next week. These are all interconnected. All of the sermons are, but I mean, if you leave today and feel like, I feel like I'm missing something and you weren't here, go back and listen, because I think it will help you. But what I can say briefly is, what Paul is pointing us to is, how do we live out of this commission, this great commission that Jesus has given us, to go and make disciples? How do we live out of the authority and power we've been given? Paul says, these are the five roles. These are the five functions. These are the ways in which the church matures, the body of Christ grows. These are the roles, when you look at them, in which Jesus was perfect in which Jesus serves as the template. And, and it, these are the roles to which every member of the body has been called. And last week, this was the radical idea. And for those of you who weren't here, it may be a radical idea this morning. We look at those five roles, and we often have said in the history of the church, those are the leaders. Those are the special people. But Paul doesn't give us any out in this letter or elsewhere to say that. Paul says to each one, grace has been given in Christ. Paul writes this letter to all the saints in Ephesus. This is for All followers of Christ, if you will, every disciple shares in the family likeness that is carried and perfectly expressed by Jesus. And these roles, when we think about them also, if we embrace even the idea that we're all called to them, they're also not independent of each other. Just like it would be strange if I started to disconnect my fingers, they're interdependent. They need each other functionally they're intended to be complementary to each other not competitive with each other and again often in the church if we even embrace these roles this has been the source of our competition within the church rather than our complementary existence together these roles in their healthy and it's their healthy and needed tension represent the maturity of the body of christ and last week I broke these down, each of these roles, a little bit for you. I'm not going to do that again today. But what I also tried to do so we could ease into this is I tried to give you a, a quick way to think of just two. Think of the, the roles as being the difference between pioneers and settlers. And you have that in the review on the outline that's there. Pioneers and settlers. That There's a tension in the church and in life between pioneers and settlers, those who like to go do new things and those who like to develop things that are already there. And I asked you last week to think about and ask others in your life, Are you a pioneer or a settler? So let's take a brief survey of the room. And again, if you weren't here, read the the definition real quick, it's just a sentence. How many pioneers do we have? Raise your hand if you're a pioneer. Nice and high, so everybody can see it. Pioneers, raise your hand. Loud and proud, come on. And if you're a settler, raise your hand. Oh my God. And if you're just totally confused, raise your hand. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Awesome, awesome. (laughs) <laughs> Fantastic, all right. <laughs> the starting point, which we're building on, is every human being, even before they come into relationship with Christ, this is part of the revelation of coming into the knowledge of the good news of Christ, of who God is. Every human being is at a fundamental level, created to be, an apo- is created as an apostle, a prophet, an evangelist, a pastor, and a teacher. Every human being is a pioneer, a visionary, a recruiter, a shepherd, a trainer. In verses 9 and 10 in chapter 4, when you heard Lee reading, these are always the most confusing verses. Paul gets a little existential as he starts to talk about this Jesus ascending and descending. He's actually referencing Psalm 68, and he's talking about Jesus ascending and descending between earth and heaven, and and how this happened when he left at resurrection. And what, what Paul's just trying to do is Paul is just basically trying to say that Jesus imparted his followers with these functions, these roles as a way to represent him, his personhood, as a way to live out the kingdom. Every person, every follower of Christ carries the potential to be an apostle, a prophet, an evangelist, a shepherd, and a teacher within him or her. And what Paul is saying is, We need to live into these five roles to build up the church so that we can come into full maturity in our knowledge and understanding of Christ. Remember, the theme of this letter is the fullness of Christ. We have to live into these five roles to grow into the fullness of Christ. Now, we're going to unpack this a little bit more today, as I promised. Remember, last week I said, you know, if if you haven't worked out in a while and you all of a sudden just try to go for it, you wake up stiff. The body can't move. So we eased in thinking in terms of pioneers and settlers, just that tension in life and in the church. But now we're going to unpack it a little bit more. And I'm going to tell you, you're going to stretch a little bit more this morning because you did this. I told you not to, but I know just from conversation, some of you did it. The minute I threw this up on the screen and talked a little bit about each of the five roles, you immediately started to go, which am I? <laughs> which one am I? We, we just can't help it. I mean, we just, we immediately want to know what, what am I? And, you know, what we do and maybe you did this, is what we do is we look at those five roles and we, what we do is we determine who we are by process of elimination. <laughs> I am not a prophet. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. Prophet, no. No, evangelist, I don't think so. No. Okay. And we figure out who we are by eliminating the other roles. And if you've done that, if that's what you did on your own or in conversation, get ready to get messed up. I warned you, because Paul here, if you catch what Paul is saying here, and in other places in Scripture, the work that's laid out by the Spirit is not a process of elimination. It's a process of transformation. To break this down for you, our approach in the gifts of God, the roles that God's called us to, is not to say, well, what role doesn't fit me? God's approach is to say, which of these roles is your base? Which of these roles is your base ministry? In other words, if you're missing this, what Paul wants to say is we carry all five by the grace of God. All five roles are expressed within each of us in a varying degree. Jesus is the perfect representation of all five of these roles. He was able to be all of them at once. Now, while you and I can never come close in this lifetime to the fullness that Christ exhibited in these five roles, notice what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying that maturity, maturity is when we are able to do each of these gifts, even when we, even though we might be better at some rather than others. That's the fullness of Christ. This is what Paul says in verse 13, until we all, all, we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. In other words, if you're still not getting this, we are called to be like Jesus, a balanced expression of each grace. We can't excuse ourselves from the graces, growing in the graces with which we are not comfortable. And this makes sense if you really stop and think about it, because if it worked the, the way that we wanted to, if it worked to where Paul said, okay, according to the grace that Jesus has given each one, there's an apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, and then you just decide which one you want to be, guess what's happening? Who's controlling it? You are. I am. And we talked about this last week. We were brought into this relationship by grace. This ability to live into the fullness of Christ is equally by grace. If we try to control it, then we're violating the very foundation of our understanding of our relationship with this God. From the beginning to the end, we are not in control. Our father's in control. We are his children, and we're dependent upon him. So it makes sense that it wouldn't just be one of these ministries, because otherwise the control would be about us. What it would also mean, if we could just isolate one, it would be very, very tempting. If I could decide which one I think I am or what I want to be, then it becomes, in whatever role I pick that I'm trying to live out that role out of my own strength and resources. But again, that's not how we're called to live in Christ. We're not called to live out of our own strength and resources. We're called to live out of the authority empowerment and empowerment we've been given by Christ. And that's why all of a sudden when you look at this, if you're freaking out and going, there's no way I can be all five, you're right. There's no way you can be all five. But with Christ at work in you, the power of the Holy Spirit—if you want—if you're as you're now, your mind's beginning to blow because this is the greater work, the new creation that Christ has done. This is the transformative work. What is not possible in human terms is possible on God's terms. The kind of body that we're not capable of developing in ourselves individually, let alone communally, is the kind of body that God says I am developing. And now we suddenly understand, as we've talked about, when we see these scriptures where Jesus says, you will do greater things than I have done, you will do all things that I have done, now suddenly we go, okay, I'm beginning to see, even though I still don't get it, this is what God has in mind. You know, to help you with a diff- from a different angle, just to, so you can appreciate the common sense in this, let alone the, <laughs> the supernatural, is I, when I do premarital counseling, I have couples that come in, they do an inventory. They will uh, do an inventory and it's to assess as a couple their strengths as a couple and their growth edges as a couple, okay? And there's a, a validity in this. This all should make sense to us, some, those of us who are married. I mean, from the standpoint of every couple is different and every couple has strengths and common sense is you play to your strengths, right? You play to your strengths as a way to deal with your growth edges. But imagine if a couple came into me I'm trying to apply the logic we often do here, and said, "Okay, you know what? We've we've seen all the things that a marriage is about, but all those things we're not good at, we're just not going to have those things in our marriage. We just are really not good at communicating, so we're just never going to communicate. Finances? We have no commonality, so we're just never going to talk about money. We're never going to deal with money. It makes no sense." I mean, instead, you engage your strength as a couple in order to, because the fullness of marriage is these growth areas. And this is a specifically a Christian understanding of marriage, that it's not possible for two people to come together and do this on their own. It's understanding the grace of God at work in a marriage. The Holy Spirit brings you into unity as one flesh through out of your strengths. But yes, even those areas that are growth edges, that you're not strong in, that you're not comfortable in. If you tr- A proper biblical understanding of marriage is that's what one flesh is. And isn't it interesting that one of the more other analogies that is often given by Paul to talk about Christ and the church is marriage. Christ is the bridegroom and we are the bride. Here it is again. It may be impossible for us to understand, but Jesus says we're married. And in the same way that we understand it in human terms, all that I am I'm giving to you. You have the fullness of who I am and you're going to grow into the fullness of me. I'm going to enable that to happen. I'm gonna provide the means for that to happen. And God does the same thing in our human marriages. This idea of how do we grow into the fullness of Christ? How do we live into the full representation of the kingdom? It's a work of the Holy Spirit. It's a submission to grace. So to take this apart for you, just if you're with me, the way to look at this is to understand that each one of us has a base or a phase ministry, okay? Your base ministry, and this is, is your, the one that you're most comfortable with. It's okay to be comfortable in one of these roles. Everyone's going to be comfortable in one of these roles. The challenge is not to be comfortable at the exclusion of the rest. We're all comfortable, more comfortable in one of these roles. And your base ministry is the one you're most comfortable in. It's your default. It's your strength. Another way to think of this, you know what your, how you can know what your base role is out of these five? It's whatever you can't help but do. It's in your blood. You're hardwired. So if your base ministry, your foundation, your strength is an apostle, you can't help but always try new things. You're always pushing the envelope. And and I want you to get a vision today beyond the church because this is bigger in terms of how God wires us. If you're an evangelist, you can't help not just to talk about Jesus, but if you're an evangelist, you can't help talk about anything that you're excited about. Anything you're excited about, you want other people to know about it. And if you're a prophet, you can't help but have always this sense about things, this gut feeling, this reaction, just this awareness in the room. And everyone's like, how do you, what's up with you? You can't help but do it because that, that prophetic is your strength. Okay? Now, just like with couples, I have them take an inventory. At the bottom of the sheet, I've provided an inventory you can take. I hesitated giving it to you last week, and I've given it to you now. It says fivefoldministry.com. I want you to go ahead and take that, but I want you to notice the warnings. Please read the warnings on the label. Okay? When you take this, remember, this is a starting point, not a final determination of what your base ministry is. Trust me, this isn't, I know we all want to know. We all want to get it resolved. It's that reliance upon the grace of God, the yielding to the spirit. This is a starting point. So when you take this, this isn't a test. Your highest score doesn't necessarily mean that's your base ministry. Doesn't mean that's your strength. And I want you, when you look at this and think about it, again, I said this last week, don't just think in terms of the ministry at grace. This is about the kingdom. So it's not just how you see yourself or perceive yourself functioning here at grace. This is about how God has wired you for the kingdom, and the kingdom encompasses more than this building and this community. Is everyone tracking with what I'm saying? We tend to have like two lives, our church life and then our other life. This is about your whole life. Christ has called you in terms of your whole life. And then lastly, one other caution, and and this is going to just continue to be something I bring up as you're trying to discern your base ministry, your strength, be aware that it's all about who God has shaped you to be. It is not who others want you to be. It's not who you want to be. It's who God has shaped you to be. And I say that because we have a strong tendency in our lives and in our world to pigeonhole others and to be pigeonholed. Well, everyone tells me I'm this, therefore I am. Or I really want to be this, therefore I am. This is not about what others say first or what we say first. It's about how God has wired us. And that's why I'm really encouraging you in this, even beyond something like this, look at the whole of your life. Look at how God's been at work. And that's why we're going to unpack each of these roles. That's where we're going to move next, each week, so that maybe you will start to think of your life and see things in a way that you haven't before, how God's been at work. Before we go there, let me explain the phase piece. You have that strength, but a phase, just like it sounds, is when you learn to do one of the other ministries for a season. And we've all experienced this, whether we call it this or not. We've all had moments where God has used relationships and circumstances to challenge us to grow in areas where we weren't comfortable. And oftentimes when that's happened, that's been more of a struggle than it needs to be because we've resisted because we believed we didn't have what it takes for what God was giving to us. And we didn't have what it takes, but God had what it takes. Many of us in those circumstances, God was calling us to live out of one of these other four roles, but we kept trying to live it out of our area of what we perceived was our strength, rather than yielding and allowing God to do his work through that role. For some of you, you're shaking your head so you have some understanding of what I'm talking about. Others, this may not be something you've experienced before. But God will call us in specific seasons out of relationships or circumstances to live into one of these other roles as a phase. We approach them from our strength. That's where our confidence comes from. But for a season, the phase becomes our primary role as we are empowered by God and learn from God how to live in one of these other four roles. Again, the challenge is we try to go into one of those places trying to live out of what we think is our strength rather than allowing God to do something new. And eventually, if we yield to God, these phases, just seasons, run their course, and you naturally return to your base. But here's the key as you look at that diagram. This is so important. When you return to your base, you see the arrows. Two things happen when you return to your base when we yield to God. Two things happen. One, you return with the foundation from that new phase that makes you a more complete leader, disciple in the church. It improves your base, and the circles on the outside get bigger because you've grown in that phase. Remember what Paul says is the goal, what God promises to do. And yes, it will take your whole lifetime or until Jesus comes again. God's purpose, his promise is not for the picture to look that way. God's promise is that eventually there won't be five circles. There'll only be one individually and corporately, that there will be the fullness of Christ. So that gradually, those other four circles will, you won't be able to tell the difference between them and your base. That's what God promised you. you look, we can all look at that. I do and go, that's just not possible. That's never going to happen. Not by my strength, not by my resources, not by my wits, my, what I have, but that's what God says he purposes to do, not just to me, but for the church. That's the picture that God has for the full maturity of the church. Discipleship, beloved, is growing into all five roles. makes sense. And when you say it out loud, it's growing into all that Jesus is. All disciples have a base, but all disciples are called to engage in phase ministries for a season. And this makes sense for two other reasons. If Jesus is the fullest expression of apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, and teacher, if in him all of these roles are wrapped up and fully seen, then by God working this way, it keeps us fully dependent and reliant upon Jesus. Do you get it? If God just had us operate in one of these, even though this sounds crazy and it happens a lot, we could be tempted to stop growing or to tempted to think we have all we need. But by continuing to push us in all five, the other four, we're being continually dependent upon Jesus. We avoid adolescence. (laughs) I'm better than you, I know what I'm doing. We're continually kept in this place of being children growing into maturity, into adulthood because we're we're continually kept dependent upon our Father. One other place where this makes sense is think about how I described it. If we see these roles, if we've seen them in the church in the past, they've often been competitive. Your apostles over here, your prophets over there, your evangelists over there. And this is created where at times when we think we're just one of them, oh, prophets, oh gosh, I hate being around prophets. Oh my gosh, they're so out there. (laughs) Or apostles, man, they're always coming up with something new to do. Man, it's never good enough. And this creates the separation in the church. But if you look at this, what this does is this ultimately keeps us in a place where we have to be interdependent. If my base ministry is I'm a teacher and I get called into a phase as an apostle, I need to gravitate towards the other apostles in the community. That's how God grows me. And vice versa. It keeps us connected to each other, dependent, mutually submitted to each other. Okay. Let's talk about being an apostle. And the goal in looking at each of these roles over the next couple of weeks is to break the stereotype associated with each one of these roles. For many of us, part of the reason why these are so intimidating to us or unattractive is the understanding we have of them is too narrow, too focused, frankly, on the extreme examples. And very few of us can see ourselves in these roles when we look at it in terms of the stereotype of the extreme. So the hope is, by broadening the definition of these roles, with some illustrations, it might help us to see more of ourselves than we normally do. And I think we're going to be surprised that there's more variety and depth to these than we, than we understand. So let's talk about apostle. Apostle literally means sent one. Apostles, the life of an apostle is characterized by purposeful movement. I love that. The life of an apostle is characterized by purposeful movement. Let me expl- we all live driven lives. I think everybody's driven in their life, right? Okay? We're all driven in our lives, but I bet even though we're all driven, most of us here like to take the path of, re- of least resistance. Can I get an amen? Yes? We, we like to exercise the way of the tried and the true because that's the way of maximum efficiency, right? Let's just do a quick, you don't have to answer this one, just think out loud. How many of you drive to church the same way every Sunday? How many of you drive to work the same day? How many of you have a dog walk the dog the same way every time? If it ain't broke, why fix it? Maximum efficiency gets me here to there. Apostles cannot settle for that. They are always looking for new directions. They're always trying new ways. Well, we can go to church this way, but what happens if we turn down this block? And for the rest of us, we're like, why are you doing that, man? Did you know how to get to church? Let's go to church that way. Apostles are pioneers, right? They're they're explorers. They're trailblazers of undiscovered territory. They're visionaries. They're what Disney calls imagineers of possibilities when others are fine with the status quo. Apostles go to the furthest frontier long before anyone else joins them. They're actively pursuing ideas ahead of their time with yet this unshakable resolve. Everybody's like, where are you going? I'm going here. Why? There's nothing out there. Oh, you don't understand. There's a lot out here. You're crazy. They have this unshakable resolve. They're out where no one else is. And they're like, oh, you wait and see. Apostles are the initiators who provoke others to share their vision and see new things. For many of us, we know there are challenges in our lives. But for many of us, the scale of the challenges that are before them can often overwhelm us. Man, that's a big mountain. How many miles is that? What's around the corner on that? Apostles are the ones, apostles are the ones who, there are some individuals who have this ability to rally people, to bring them together as a band of brothers or sisters and say, we can get over that mountain. We can go around that corner. We're going through that path. And so in this way, another way to think of apostles is apostles are team builders who help and excite others to explore and dream with them. In in the secular world, we would call such types, we would call apostles in the secular world entrepreneurs. Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs is an apostle. Saw in, in the technology field, saw in programming what others did not see, and look at how things have been transformed through the work that he did, the way he rallied people to that vision. Think about John Wooden, that's coach John Wooden. John Wooden was someone who saw the game of basketball differently, but apostles, they don't necessarily have to be high profile celebrities. apostles are the expedition leaders. They're the coaches, the motivators, who have this natural ability to rally others. And what's significant is what's before you is an unrelenting hard work. And yet apostles have this ability to convince you it's a good thing to be a part of it. John Wooden changed the game of basketball and he convinced his players to go along with him. And again, an apostle doesn't have to be a celebrity or a big personality. An apostle can be the unassuming person in your neighborhood who organizes the community picnic or the neighborhood watch because they see the value in coming together or they see what's happening in the community. And I want you, just for a moment, just with the the little definition I've given you, think about, it doesn't have to be in the church, in your life, picture someone who you would now see as an apostle. Picture someone you would now see that fits this description. As followers of Jesus and filled with the Holy Spirit, apostles, beyond the secular understanding, apostles filled with the Holy Spirit and as followers of Jesus, apostles are kingdom expanders. And apostles are extremely sensitive to Jesus' call to go and share the gospel. In the history of the church, these are the men and women who went to the most isolated and unreached people and lived there alone for many years. And not just stereotypically across the globe. They're the people who moved into a community and went to the parts of the community that no one else went to or that no one else even realized was there. They have this sensitivity to Christ's call to go and share the gospel. They're deeply concerned, apostles are, with the big picture, the future direction, the forward movement, the continued inbreaking of the kingdom of God. Jesus says that his kingdom continues to inbreak, and apostles are always looking to see more of heaven coming to earth. It's out there. Where is it? They want to see it. They want to have God's reign become more tangible in the communities and cultures they're a part of. And they're willing to do whatever it takes to make this come about. And by engaging the world in this way, we need apostles in the church because apostles keep the church from stagnating. They extend the gospel. They ensure that the faith is transmitted from one context to another, from one generation to the next. And let's be honest, in the mainline church, churches like ours, we kicked out the apostles. We kicked out the apostles because we didn't want to be stretched and look around Where's the next generation? We need apostles in the church. And, and the reason for this is that in the church, apostles have a bad rap. They're often painted as those who rebel against the structure. And indeed, there's some truth in that because apostles often disregard, have a, exhibit a disregard for the rules or the traditions of the community. But what's mo- most often understood about apostles, if you're an apostle, if that's your base, what's most often understood about you is you understand the need for structure. You understand the need for structure. You just push the rest of us not to hold on to that structure so tightly that we don't go and grow. There's a difference. Rightly appreciated in the church, apostles are the strategists who will honestly confront us about the life cycle and continued viability of what we're doing. They will say, where's the fruit? Where are the disciples? Where is this furthering the kingdom? And they won't just want to hear stories about the past. They're going to say, where is it now? They are the ones who value the rules, but they aren't constrained by them. They aren't afraid to believe that the rules can be changed. Two biblical examples, Paul and Barnabas, both apostles. Barnabas, and this shows you that an apostle doesn't have to be epic. Barnabas was an apostle in that he was stood alone in the one person when God brought Paul to the scene who said, hey, you know what? I'm going to take Paul under my wing. I'm going to pour into his life. Everybody else was like, "Um, isn't that the guy who was just trying to kill all of us? And we're just supposed to believe he fell from his horse. He saw Jesus and now he's cool. And Barnabas says, no, no, I can see what God is doing here. I am going to pour into this life. Everybody else was taking a couple steps back. Barnabas got in closer. That's an apostle coming alongside, building a team, seeing the vision, that, the work that God was doing in Paul's life, even imparting it to Paul. Paul was an apostle. Church is growing, right? And all of a sudden, Paul says, you know, I think we're called to the Gentiles. And what does the church struggle with? The rules. Paul's like, you know what? They don't need to be circumcised. They can eat different foods. Uh, Paul, the rules. Paul, 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 the traditions, Paul, Paul. Paul's like, God's doing a new thing. God's doing a new thing. This is where we're called to go. Apostles understand the rules, but they're not constrained by them. They can be changed. Apostles are the architects who help us to see what we often overlook right in front of our face, resources that are already available to us, resources that we've often neglected or withheld because we've pigeonholed them. We've only seen them a certain way. And Paul does this all the time, where he's like, he's rereading scripture for us. This is what God really meant. And people are like, I don't, I'm I'm sorry. That's not how we've understood it. And Paul's like, no, this is what God was doing all the time. In this sense, apostles are the movement starters who discover and lead us in walking in fresh and different routes. You know what? There's a different way to go to church on Sunday, and you'll still get there. You can walk your dog in more than one way, and he'll still be happy. And you'll see new things. Some apostles, some apostles like Paul, extend the kingdom's territory across context. They extend the boundaries. But this is important. Some apostles like Peter reform the kingdom from within. That's really important to see that with apostles. Let me give you two contemporary examples. Martin Luther, apostle. Church was stagnating. Martin Luther wanted to reform the church. He was an apostle saying, God's moving and we're not seeing what God's doing here. And guess what? As as Martin Luther was pointing to what God was doing and saying, the rules can be changed, what happened? He got kicked out. We don't care for your vision. But look at the legacy. The Catholic Church has changed. Because of the things that Martin Luther brought up. Because they weren't just from Martin Luther, they were from God. If you don't know the guy on the other side, that's John Wimber. John Wimber's an apostle. Not that long ago in the 70s, John Wimber started to say, you know, there's this funny thing. We talk about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but I never hear anything about the Holy Spirit. We never acknowledge the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? How does the Holy Spirit work? What's the Holy Spirit doing? And a lot of people are like, uh, we don't talk about that anymore. That's, we don't get, go there. That's crazy stuff right there. Um, we've done our biblical studies, and that was for the first church, the first generation, but after that, we put that spirit in a box, okay? That is, we don't go there. And John Wimber said, I don't think so. I think God's really moving, and I think that God's moving in terms of our understanding of the Holy Spirit, and he's radically, God through him has radically reshaped how we worship, how we talk, how we understand the person of the Holy Spirit. That's an apostle. It's important that we pause and talk about apostles gone bad, because while we can talk about what an apostle is, sometimes by talking when, an, when an, an apostle is unhealthy or imbalanced, that will also help us. Because honestly, that's why many of us struggle with apostles or struggle with even thinking that we are because we've had bad experiences. So let's very quickly talk about this. One of the hazards for apostles, which is again why we need each other, is apostles being always on the move, apostles always looking ahead. Apostles have a tendency to have people feeling like they've been left behind. Or left out. They get antsy, man. Okay, you go on to church the same way you normally go. I'm going a different way. They can leave people feeling left behind. Apostles can be so task-oriented. What's the next step? What's God calling us to do? That they can oftentimes unintentionally see others through that filter. And people can feel like they've been used. As though they've been treated as a means to an end. Bad experiences with reckless apostles have hurt us in the church. And mature apostles, healthy apostles, hear this, don't leave others behind. That doesn't mean there aren't some people who are kicking and screaming. That doesn't mean there aren't some people who sit there and go, I'm not going. It just means we don't leave everyone behind. Apostles, remember, are team builders. They get others to share in the vision. So apostles take personal time and spend it with people. They recognize, apostles recognize sometimes more than others do, that people don't choose their calling. Their calling by God is something they discover. And apostles interpersonally love to help people discover their calling. They're the kind of people who will help you to see the unique way that God made you. They'll ask things like, what do you enjoy doing? What do you think you do well? What do other people think you do well? And in the midst of that, how do you see Christ at work in where you are right now? And how do you see those two things coming together? What is the Spirit prompting you to do out of how, what you love to do and what you're good at? How can this be part of great, Jesus' great commission? And that's why apostles are so valuable, because oftentimes it's not just out there, but it's within our own lives. They help us to see our lives, our understanding of ourselves in ways that are new. We have people all our lives who tell us this is who we are, this is what we're capable of, and the apostles are ones who come in and say, God's got more in store for you than this. It's not just out there, it's also within the community. But in their excitement for a new idea or their strong desire for expansion, sometimes apostles can be loose cannons. Sometimes apostles can believe it's easier to get forgiveness than it is permission Sometimes apostles can ignore the rules rather than change them. And that's why when we talk about an apostle, part of a healthy apostle, a mature apostle, is an apostle gets a vision from God. It all comes from God. God, Jesus is the ultimate pioneer and perfecter of our faith. The apostle doesn't make it up. God says, go here. And the apostle is sensitive enough to see it and to go. But the apostle, a healthy apostle, doesn't just get the vision. The apostle brings it to the community for verification. And it's not easy. It's not always pleasant, there's a tension there, but the the apostle comes to the community and says, this is where the Lord is leading, do you agree? But here's what's required, and this is why it's so tragic. We've kicked so many apostles out of the church, we have apostles operating on their own, which just further underscore creates damage. Because the apostles have no place in the church, and they need the verification of the community. So they need to be a part of the community, but community, here's what needs to happen. We need to be open to things that God may be doing in our lives that we're not comfortable with places where God's calling us that we may not necessarily ourselves wanna go. And that doesn't mean we accept everything, but that means we have to be open, be willing to pray, be willing to wrestle and say, okay, I'm not really excited about this, or I'm not really sure we can do this, but I have this clear sense that God does and God's leading, so we'll go. Back to the original church, Paul is pressing man for the Gentiles and the church is like, we're just not sure, man. This is You're rewriting our understanding of what it means to be a a follower of this God. No circumcision, dietary laws are changing. But ultimately, the church prays and wrestles and says, this is the Lord. The Lord is leading. A healthy apostle, a mature apostle, needs to come to the community for verification, but the community's got to be willing to honestly do that. And then, this is also important, apostles don't go out there on their own. Remember, they get people to see the vision and come with them. So if an apostle goes, "Hey, what do you guys think?" and everybody goes, "Thumbs up. We think it's great. Have fun." There's a problem. We got to go if we're verifying that this is of the Lord. Sometimes in the church, what we've done is we have celebrated apostles and this is bad. This is unhealthy. We've celebrated or have lifted up the value or worth of an apostle based upon their achievements. What they've accomplished Rather than what God has done. Because, and part of why we do that is because we don't want to go with them. So it's like, oh, look at all the stuff you've done. Wow. You're an apostle. Let me tell you something right now. When we are lifting up the achievements and the, the accomplishments of the apostle and the community hasn't been a part of it, that is the first sign that that vision for both the apostle and the community wasn't from God. It was from us. That is the clearest sign that God's not driving the vision. We are or we're letting someone else drive the vision. We have to participate together. The image that always comes to my mind is mature apostles hold, if you can picture this, they hold intention. On the one hand, they've got their hand on the expanding edge of the kingdom, right? They're, they can sense how God's stretching them, but they have this other hand on the center and they refuse to let either one go. And they're like the ones that are continually pulling us back and forth. They have this ability to connect the present with the future, And what they are about is they awaken others to live out their own calling as sent people, to join with God in the renewal of all things. Another way to think of an apostle is they're network builders. They connect communities, churches, and people. They invest in people's lives, but they invest in people's lives and are sensitive to how do you connect to the larger whole of the body of Christ. They make disciples who in turn make other disciples. In fact, to close this out, the word apostle was actually originally a Roman word. Did you know that? The word apostle was originally a Roman word. Apostles were sent from Rome to change the culture of a newly conquered territory. That's what apostles were in the Roman Empire. The job of the apostle was to transform the worldview and the culture of the new territory so that it became increasingly Roman. And an apostle would come and begin to change the common language and then would progressively Romanize the rest of society. In other words, apostles were transformers. And that's a great final image. When Jesus appointed apostles, he was sending out transformers. Apostles, as I started with, are shaped by purposeful movement. They are are led, motivated by the synergy of the gospel. They promote faith through action. They are transformers who serve as the catalyst for the entire body of Christ to be fully activated and equipped to be Jesus' hands and feet in transforming towns, countries, The world. Now, I know for some of you who are sensing that you might be an apostle, you're getting really, oh, this is awesome. And for others of you who may not be your your base, it may be your phase, you're like, this is not helping me at all. But here's the ultimate thing we have to wrestle with, and we're going to come back to this every time. Beloved, if our God is ascending God, you ever thought about that? Our God, the, one of the fundamental ways we understand the character, the person of our God. If, our, if within God's own being, God is, is ascending God, the impulse of, to go is within the very nature of God. The Father sends the Son and the Spirit. The Spirit and the Son send us. Then if we're created in the image of God, we have all been called and all been sent into the world for the sake of blessing others. If our God is ascending God, an apostolic God, The entire church is filled with sent ones. We are all apostles. And for some of us, this excites us. This is our core because we can't help but start new things. For some of us, we can't help but rally others to something new and different. For some of us, we are just wired to push the envelope and mobilize the community. For others of us, this is a season or a phase that we will be called to learn and we will be, be empowered by God to do things and be a part of things that don't naturally come to us. And that's awesome. We will find ourselves, us, you know, you're sitting right now going, me? Into our uncharted territory. You will be energized and you'll be activating other people. God will work through you in their calling and their sentness. And you'll step back and go, this just is not who I am. But it is who you are in Christ. And it's not only how you mature your base ministry, this is how we grow together into the fullness of Christ. As a pastor, like I said last week, the automatic assumption is I am all five roles. I won't tell you what my base ministry is, and I won't tell you that because I don't know if I've really figured it out yet. But I obviously have to live into that apostolic role. And for me, not always comfortable, not always where I would position myself, But when I yield to the spirit, when I yield to the word of God, I all of a sudden look up and I look out to you and I look through those doors. And what do I see? I see new possibilities for the kingdom that have yet to be realized. New possibilities. I look and I see out those doors and in your own lives, as I look at each of you in the eyes, undiscovered fields. I see through your eyes the extension of your world. There are people, lives of people who are still living alone, lives of people who are still living afraid, lives of people who are still living confused. I see flesh and blood people that are looking for a vision of Jesus, but they have no vision of Jesus. I look and I see untapped networks. You know, it's funny how you all sit apart from each other. I see the spaces in between because it's representative out there of how apart from each other we are. And I see God desiring to get us more connected. I see God desiring to network these fragments of the gospel of the kingdom that are out there. There's ways that God is desiring to connect because God's strength is in numbers. The body is intended to grow. Beloved, can you see what I see? Can you see the new possibilities? Can you see the undiscovered fields? Can you see the fragments that are just begging to be connected? Because if you can, then somewhere within the body of Christ, this expression of the body of Christ, that means right now today, somewhere, thank God, the apostolic muscle is flexing. The apostolic muscle is flexing. We're beginning to feel that flex. And if we just yield to this spirit the Spirit of God, yield to this power and authority that Christ has given us, we can all be apostles called and sent to this world that is waiting to experience the Jesus we know and love, the kingdom that we're a part of. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.